Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. So we've been in this Everyday Wisdom series, and uh, today we dive into a topic that I think is at the center of being a follower of Jesus Christ, something that is intensely desired by, I think, essentially everyone, and yet uh, is lacking in a large percentage of Americans' lives. It's something that we talk about often. In fact, it's at the core of our mission at Quest, and, and by the sheer number of verses in Proverbs, we have to talk about this if we're going to be genuine to the wisdom of Proverbs. For many Americans, this missing ingredient is, uh, is what they need for them to see lasting change, healing, restoration, and growth in their lives. For many Christians, it's the missing ingredient that you long for in faith, in church, and in life. And you can read your Bible, you can pray, you can go to church, you can give, but if you don't have this ingredient down in your life, you're going to constantly fall short of all the good God wants for you, and you're going to unnecessarily feel a sense of lack and a hollowness at times, and you're going to likely unnecessarily crash and burn at various times in your life. The ingredient is friendship. Now, I know I hesitated a little bit because that sounds a little bit Mr. Rogers type of neighborhood type of topic, you know, and it and it makes you kind of think we're going to sing Friends or Friends Forever by Michael W. Smith and hold hands and get in touch with your feelings. And I know that for some of you, that's about as appealing as going to the proctologist. But friendship is such a critical and often missing ingredient in our lives. We all want friends, but do we really know what God designed friendship to look like in our lives? If you look at the movies and the magazines and, and the music today, they talk more about sex and romance than they do about friendship. Today we're going to actually look at friendship and the truth of friendship uh, through four truths in Proverbs, and then we're going to spend a little bit of time uh, at the end looking at what a good friend looks like and how we are and can become a good friend. The first foundational truth is this. The essence of Christian love is expressed in friendship. We briefly touched on the essentials of friendship for our lives earlier when we read uh, Proverbs 13, and, and it says this in verse 20, Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Now, you'll never find perfect people, but are your friends the people in your life who are pursuing wisdom and pursuing God and, and, and pushing you that direction? If they are pursuing wisdom and God's will, you're going to see a whole lot more positive results in your future. Proverbs 18 says it this way. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, to harm, to destruction. They blow up and you suffer ruin. You need their help and they're not there for you and you suffer ruin. Then it goes on and says, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That almost sounds like a bumper sticker. But to understand the magnitude of that statement, you need to put it in the cultural context. The Jewish culture placed extremely high value on tribe, clan, and family. 
Family was far more important in Solomon's day than it is in our individualistic American culture today. And since I suspect that most of you really highly value family and think it's important, I want you to take what you feel and think of what it would be if you multiplied it by a hundred times. That's putting it in the context of this proverb being written. And it says essentially that friendship in many ways is as important, maybe more important than family. The friendship that you can have in your life will bring some things into your life that family cannot bring. And yet we too often end up like C.S. Lewis said 50 years ago when he wrote this. He says, because we don't really value friendship, friendship is the first relationship that is squeezed out of our lives. We continue family relationships, work relationships, but not friendships. And especially among men, and especially among men over 30, there is this trend of maybe the majority having very few to no friends. See, the truth of the power and the importance of friendship is all throughout the Bible. David had Jonathan. Paul had Barnabas and Silas and Timothy. Even Jesus among his 12 had those who were closer to him, the three. And even among that, he had his one. He had his bestie in John. So you can't say, I have 12 great friends and this is what I need. This is all I need in life. Who are the three? in your life? Who is the one in your life that you trust the most and you're the most open and you freely talk with them? Even when it comes to mission, Jesus models doing ministry together in the context of friendship. We say it often at Quest, you can't have a great life, a great faith, a great church experience. You can't have a great serving experience unless you do it with friends. Jesus makes this abundantly clear, actually in some of his last words, His prayer recorded in John 17 is all about friendship. And you might think, well, in his last words, Jesus should have talked about God's love. He should have talked about God's power. He should talk about lofty goals that we should accomplish or or what's next. And you know what? He does. He talks about the power of friendship. In fact, he says this in John 17. He says, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Don't miss this talk of being one in unity. Don't don't miss this. It It isn't an abstract idea. It isn't what we often say of just a bunch of churches getting together and doing a big event so they look like they're one. Jesus is isolating his thoughts, although that can be good. Jesus is isolating his thoughts on the idea of enduring unbreakable closeness and being for one another. He is describing true, deep friendship, care for one another, always unbreakably there for one another. Jesus goes further. He says, then, when you get this down, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them. Them meaning You and I, all of us who choose to follow Jesus, and even as you have loved me, you love them. See, this is the distinguishing characteristic of what it means to be a Christian, to be the church, to be a follower of Jesus. We are great friends with each other, or we grow into that. 
Uh, two messages by pastors J.D. Greer and Bruce Frank kind of helped me shape how to think through this message. And Greer said, said this foundational truth. He said, the essence of Christian love is expressed in friendship. Now, we often think of Christian love as giving money, of serving the poor, taking a trip to a third world and, and to serve people. And uh, the point Jesus is trying to make is that Christian love is best expressed first in loving our friends and our church family. In the New Testament, there are 58 what we call one another commands. Love one another, care for one another, serve one another, encourage one another, share with one another, pray for one another, and a whole bunch more. Jesus died to create community of friends who would do these things with one another. That's the vision of the church. Not to be an audience, but to be a community of friends that do all 58 of these one another things for each other. See, how we love each other is the number one way that we can pique the curiosity of people wanting to know more about God because they see the strength of the love of the community within the church and we invite them into experiencing that same kind of community with us even before they believe. Yet what we see in America is what sociologists have been talking about for the past 30 years. They call it the commodification of relationships. Now, that's not about commodes. It's about commodities. Let's break that down. A commodity is something you buy and sell, and that transaction creates a relationship. So I buy my Apple iPhone, and I enter into a relationship with Apple. That's a relationship. It's not based upon personal enjoyment of a person. I don't personally know one of the names of people at Apple or, or the personal stories or families of anyone that works at Apple. My relationship is one of vendor and consumer, a commodified relationship. So, for example, I've been spending way too much time at Home Depot lately and spending way too much money there. I may uh, like the people in the paint department. And if it's a slow day, I might even get to know their name and I might get to know a little bit about their family and how they enjoy their job. But if the paint quality goes down, if they can't match the paint samples well, if the price goes up and I, and I start getting paint cans damaged or half full, off I go to Lowe's or Sherwin-Williams or PPG. Why? Because ultimately the relationship is about what I get out of it. It's just a means to an end of getting what I want. And what sociologists have noted is that Americans increasingly are slipping into this kind of commodification of friendships. We enter a relationship because we like what we get from the relationship. I need something from you. And if I don't get it, then I walk away from a relationship, whether it's a friend or a marriage or a church. People are just a means to a me-centered end. We've made friendship all too often into a commodity. We've made church all too often into a commodity. And when we do that, we miss the essence of who God is and why Jesus came and who Jesus was and is in coming and who Jesus asks you and I to be as his followers. God came in Jesus to reestablish enduring, permanent, right relationship, friendship. He even uses the word friendship with anyone who would accept and follow him. 
He offered that kind of grace and mercy even when brutally and consistently rejected and misunderstood. See, his mission wasn't about him. It was about you and me. His mission wasn't to feel good about himself and have his friendship needs met. It wasn't a commodified relationship. Think, think how powerful the Trinity is in this regard. God as three persons in one. It's a mystery we have a hard time understanding, but this we can understand. Jesus came from perfect, harmonious friendship. He wasn't coming to meet a need in himself. The, that need for love and friendship was already perfectly and fully met in the Trinity. Jesus came out of pure love for us, committed to us, even to death, whether we received his gift of love or not. That kind of deep, committed friendship is the very core of what it means to be a Christian, to love like Jesus, and to love Jesus' followers and other people. Now, I actually thought about making what I'm about to say a separate point, but, but in reality, it's just another way of saying what I've always already said. True, deep friendship is built on a common goal. And I've just described for you the common goal, the all-encompassing mission and passion for all of us as Christ followers, to be so loving and committed over the long haul to each other in friendship as the church that those around us who don't know Jesus yet, who are caught in bad religion, realize that, hey, that can only be God, a God kind of love, because I don't see that anywhere else. Everything where else, it's all about they love me as long as I'm lovable and as long as I give enough to make it worth their while. See, this common goal must be more than common interest in friendship, too. If all you have is a common interest of playing ball together, then, then you're, one, you're one injury away from a loss of friendship. If all of your common interest is based upon a, a, a working together, then you're one loss of a job or a job transfer away from losing that friendship. The only common goal strong enough to hold all of us together in friendship is the goal of following Jesus and loving each other like Jesus. Every other command our goal is transient. Uh, so in addition to this first overarching goal, a biblical friend, idea of friendship, there are three others we're going to talk about. Each one of these is a little bit more descriptive of who we need to be and what we need to look for in friends. Friends push you toward positive growth. Let's look again at Proverbs 13 and then take it a little bit deeper. Proverbs 13, walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. Your closest friends, we've said this before, are a picture of who you will be in five years. Your friends will either form you to be more like Jesus and more free, more powerful, more at peace, uh, more focused, more wise, more prosperous, more purposeful, more, jo- more joyful, or not. Because the companion of fools suffers harm. Your poor choices influenced by people around you can cause you and those you love pain. Or the poor choices of others around you can unnecessarily explode, flinging shrapnel and wounding you and those you love the most. Collateral damage. Could it be that the areas, this is a tough question for all of us, could it be that the areas you wish to grow in that keep causing problems for you and your relationships might have something to do with the company you keep, the friendships you have. 
You eat like them, you act like them, you talk like them, you prioritize life like them. And because they're not pushing you toward wisdom, you suffer and remain stuck in life. So I was trying to think of a way to picture this suffering and, and being stuck in life uh, because of the influence of friend, friends. And, and it reminded me of kind of the prank TV shows, you know, the, the punk TV and the candid camera type things. Scientists and then candid camera and punk TV all did this one, uh, uh, this experiment and joke. Uh, there was a guy who was going to get on an elevator. And unbeknown to him, they had already set up where there were people planted on each floor. So the elevator stopped at every single floor. And every time it stopped, another person got on the elevator. And all those people remained facing the back of the elevator. Now, talk about awkward and weird, okay? That's just strange. After a number of them got on and stayed focusing the back uh, to the back of the elevator, the original guy who was being punked turned around and also faced the back of the elevator. That is the power of conforming to group influence. There was another one I didn't see, but it's the weirdest one I heard about. There was a guy who came into the doctor's office, sat down in the waiting area. Everyone there was a plant for the TV show, The Practical Joke. And one by one, everybody else in the lobby stripped down to their underwear. And you know what happened? The guy stripped down to his underwear as well. Scientists did an experiment uh, years ago with the schooling of fish, uh, the fish that schooled uh, together. And they, they tried to identify the part of the brain that caused them to school together. And then they did, and they took one of the fish and they did a lobotomy on that part of the fish's brain. And then they stuck that fish back in the water, and sure enough, it didn't swim with the school anymore. It went off on its own wherever it wanted to go. The problem was that all the other fish started following the brain-damaged fish around. The companion of fools suffers harm. That sounds a lot like some of the high school fads, doesn't it? You know, the guys start wearing their pants around their knees and a couple others join them and now all of a sudden it's fad. I got to be honest, I'm, you know, if somebody wants to do that, I'm, uh, that's, that, that's fine. But that forms one of my preaching nightmares of standing up in front of you with my pants fall down. That, 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 that's, that's a nightmare for speakers. That's something they often have, right? So... So if you say, um, my friends might be part of the reason I remain stuck. If you recognize that and unable to grow and, and find healing and freedom in an area of your life, uh, the question is, what can you do? And for some of you, that first answer is just saying, I, I just won't be influenced by them. In the famous words of Dr. Phil, how's that been working for you? I can't think of a single person I've seen make a significant faith life decision with the kind that turned them from living a damaging lifestyle to one that is really healthy and realized lasting positive change unless something changed in their friendships. Walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. So, Maybe you have a second option then. The second option is just go ahead and get some new friends around you. But I can hear you already thinking, but, but Ross, aren't you always saying, if, you wanna, if we want to see Jesus' good news expressed through us, we want to develop friendships with people who think differently than us, who have different morals and values and, that are strongly counter to us, people who are dealing with really difficult, even painful, difficult issues and maybe stuck because of their own foolishness. And aren't we supposed to develop friendships with them? And the answer is yes. Jesus asks us to do that 
and he models it for us. So let's take a moment to look a little bit maybe more closely and practically at what it might look like to get some new friends around us. So I want you to think of friendship as having four circles. We have four different kinds of friends in our life. We all have acquaintances, people you know and enjoy, but we don't spend necessarily a lot of time with. And they're not our go-to close friends, but, but we do enjoy them. And, and you might have dozens, maybe even hundreds of these kinds of people in your life. We also have this need in our life for another kind of friend. This is what we'll call the common purpose friend. You may work with them. You may have a common purpose. You may have a common skills. But you don't necessarily spend a lot of time socially outside of work with them. This might also be in your life the, the parents of kids in the, related to the clubs you're involved in helping lead or whatever. Or it might be others who you volunteer with in ministry about a ministry you're passionate with. You may have a common purpose there. You might have... 10 to 20 of these types of people in your life. But we also have a need even deeper than that, and we'll call them good friends. These are the friends you spend more time with through maybe common purpose or common interest or common friend or just the fact that you have friends in common with them. And whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, you probably have room for maybe 5 to 10 of these people in the sphere of your life. So this might be the work associate that you get together with every now and then for out, outside of work for, for fun and doing something. This might be the person who's as fanatical about cycling or running or fishing as you are, and you get together with them on a regular basis to do that and have a lot of fun doing it. With this kind of a friend, you may go a little bit deep with them from time to time. You might share some of your life, but, but your trust level or your desire to share like Everything when things are going difficult or even all of your joys or all of your feelings and dreams, it's just not there with them. You just really enjoy spending time together. This might even be some, maybe many, maybe even all of the people in your small group. You love the people in the discussion. You open up quite a bit and you trust them. Some of the people you really enjoy because they're really different than who you are and they just bring a different perspective. But, but you can't see just hanging out with them all the time and going to the ball game together with them, right? And when life falls apart and hits the red line of difficulty for you, while you may tell them a bit and ask them for prayer and really just so greatly appreciate the support of your small group, <clears throat> maybe not everybody in that group are the type of people you're going to open up fully and candidly with about the whole picture of what's going on and let them in that deep. And then there's an area that I think many of us lack altogether. We're just going to call it best friends. Your bestie. It sounds a bit juvenile. I get it, but I couldn't figure out a way to say it any less sappy. So that's what we got. This, severe, this sphere of friendship in your life has really room for about one to three people max. You don't have room for more of them in your life than this. We often actually confuse the people we spend a lot of time socially with for this level of friendship. But often, if we're really honest, we don't have these people in our lives, the people who we can really be fully open and honest with our thoughts and our fears, our dreams, our successes, our struggles, our hopes, and our failures. The closest friend I ever had in my life was actually a guy that, yeah, I did fun things with him fairly regular, but, but we each had a lot of good friends and common purpose friends in separate friendship circles from each other. But when either of us needed someone to encourage us or warn us or keep us from making a bad decision, when either of us needed someone to pray with or talk with about anything deeply personal, we went to each other. Now, and 
in church circles, we like to call this relationship an accountability relationship. But that's such a, I hate that term. It's such an intimidating word. I don't like the word because it, 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 the term sounds so negative and the relationship was so very positive. It's the question, who is that person in your life or who are those people in your life? Husbands and wives, don't just say it's my wife or my husband. It's Certainly it's best if they are one of the two or three people who fit in that arena of safety and friendship with you, but the reality is they may not, depending on the dynamics of your relationship. But you also need someone of the same sex who is that kind of a person to you. And here's the deal. Getting back again to this idea where we started, the idea of you may need to change some of your relationships in order to grow in life. If you have no one in that inner circle, then you need to find one or two people to be that who fit the wise, godly profile of a friend. It might take two people because more than likely you'll relate really well to one person in one area of your life, but they may not relate at all to another aspect of your life, and you may need someone else to talk fully openly and honestly with about that aspect, and that's okay. You need someone else to talk about uh, on a full open basis. So, so if your good friend, uh, and then if your good friend and your common purpose friend, circles of friends are all people who tend to make you stay stuck, who pull you down, who aren't pushing you towards wisdom, then change the makeup of the friends in those two circles so that at least more than 50% of the friends in those two circles of your life are the ones who are pushing you to wisdom, to God and to growth. And for the rest of the friends who remain in there who aren't those people, those are the people God has called you to because they're in your life to love them as genuine friends and be the person who invites them to faith in God and health and wholeness in their life that God can bring. The point is, take some time to reassess your relationship grid and the balance of it. Because if Jesus came and his last words while he was still on earth were all about relationship, then this is an area that's worthy of reassessing to make sure you've got a healthy balance of friendship in your life. The third aspect of uh, friendship Proverbs highlights for us is friends come to your aid when life goes haywire. Proverbs 17 says it this way, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Now, you have to understand the writer of Proverbs here is using uh, poetic parallelism. So that second phrase is meant to expand in a different way our understanding of the first phrase. So basically he's saying a friend loves at all times and doesn't walk out in adversity. Uh, This is something we know to be true about friendship, right? That's just kind of a duh. Of course that's friendship. But in the commoditization of relationship and friendship in particular, we are often driven more by our feelings and we don't follow through with this kind of a commitment, do we? See, brother here is not necessarily biological. It could be. It's, it's actually more of like the band of brothers. I, I'm fascinated. And what continually fascinates me talking to people who have been in war settings or watching historical b- things like the band of brothers is the strongest friendship bonds in life are formed between two people who shared the same foxhole. The person who was there for you, when you and with you in the trenches of fear and threat and danger and adversity, those are the strongest friendship bonds of all. 
We see this in our other introductory verse as well. In Proverbs 18, it says, One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That sticks closer than a brother word, that sticks closer than, that's actually often translated as the word cleave. It's this Old Testament covenant word, loyal, faithful, proximity of relationship word, meaning they will always be there for you, right there with you, and they will never walk out even facing death. When you can't hope, they're going to hope for you. When you are too beaten down and too hurt to carry the load, they're going to carry it for you until you're able to pick it up again and carry it on your own. See, Solomon, in one of his other wise books, wrote, uh, Ecclesiastes put it this way, he said, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. In other words, serving, working, living life with true friends is what really brings reward and goodness to life. And he goes on and says, For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is standing alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Where do you find that kind of friendship? Quest groups are a a good way to start. But again, we illustrated your, your small group can't necessarily be that innermost circle all the time of your friendship, but it is a great place to start searching for that kind of friendship. And it's a great place to start trying to make the healthy balance of circles two and three be healthier in your life, people who will promote you to wisdom and intentional growth in your life. The fourth aspect, the fourth aspect of friendship Proverbs talks about is friends step in and save us from destruction. Proverbs 27 says this. It said, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. In other words, a true friend is, it's not that they're unafraid. They may be really afraid, but they step in anyway. A true friend will confront you even when they don't like it, even when you get angry at them, even when it puts stress and strain and threatens the relationship. Other people, let's face it, as Proverbs says, are just kiss-ups. And even if they are really are your, even if, even if you think they're your friend and they think you're a friend, what they really are is they're your enemy, at least in the way they're acting in that regard. Why? What true friend allows another true friend to walk out in front of a bus and get plowed over by it without saying something? Your closest friends can generally see your blind spots in life and they say something to avert harm in your life. Years ago, uh, Wendy and I had a friend, uh, uh, some friends of ours who refrained from telling us something that was, uh, in the end, it blindsided us with a really hurtful decision. And when we asked them, why did you not come and talk with us about it and talk it through? And, and why did you instead just blindside us with this really hurtful decision? Their response was, we were afraid it would hurt your feelings. True friends, really good friends, don't say that. True friends, people you can trust, don't think like that. If you say that, then you have a lot of growing to do as a friend because in that moment you're acting a whole lot more like an enemy than you are a friend. Another translation of this verse puts it this way, faithful, faithful are the wounds of a friend. 
So what that means is there's no hit-and-run truth-telling. No, I did my part, I told them the truth, and now it's up to them and they're on their own. A true friend is faithful, is trustworthy, a there-for-you friend, even when and especially when it hurts. So not only do you say something to your friend because you are trustworthy to have their interests in mind and not just your own insecurity or your fear of rejection or your own inability to deal with, your, uh, with the hurt feelings that may result by you saying something, you are faithful to the other person even as you say it, in the way you say it, and you stick with them after you say it. So let's begin kind of the descent to land this whole message today. Let's talk about how to find good friends and be one. Proverbs kind of gives us a really quick four-part assessment in the way it talks its themes, and we'll just grab a couple verses. The first one is genuineness and honesty. Proverbs 19 says it this way, better is a poor person who walks in his integrity, in other words, who is genuine, honest, truthful, open with who and they really are and what they're thinking, than one who is crooked in speech and is a fool. And then a couple of verses later, it says, wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friends. That, that latter verse in Proverbs is actually kind of Proverbs using sarcasm to make a point. The wealthier you are, the higher in leadership you go, regardless of the position, the more difficult it becomes to have friendships in life. People act like your friend, but they are really just impressed by your success or your wealth. And if you're a leader or a wealthier person, you can all too easily fall into the trap of feeling your worth from all that affirmation that you get from wealth or, or position. The problem is, the result for you is that you often will end up lacking discernment as to what is really healthiest and best in regard to friendship and your church life. Proverbs helps us see that you find out who your real friends are when you have nothing to give and when you have no success to guarantee. The second one is reliability. Proverbs 17 says it this way, a friend loves at all times. And at all times mean they love you, even when you're unlovable, because all of us are all too often unlovable. Proverbs 25 says it this way. It says, trusting in a treacherous man in a time of trouble is like a bad tooth or a foot that slips. So remember the last time you slipped, maybe it was walking down the steps and you forgot there was a step there and you took an extra big step and just kind of felt that air and almost, you know, fell over. It feels wrong, doesn't it? And you can do some damage to yourself when that happens. And, that, and that's what it feels like when a friend is supposed to be there and they're not. Your inner most close friends need to be the friends that are there even when it's inconvenient for them. I may have hundreds of friends and hundreds of acquaintances who I love and enjoy being around, but the real friends, they show up. When they show up in my time of need, it's about my need and not their need. And I also do the same for them. There's another uh, guide that Proverbs gives us. It's called empathy. Empathy is to feel with someone. It, M is, means into and path is, uh, it means feelings. It, it's a real friend feels with you, enters into your feelings and meets you where you're at. Proverbs 27, 14 kind of highlights this in, in kind of a funny way, but it's so true. It's whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. 
So how many of you like to wake up really slow and you have somebody in your house who wakes up really fast and really loud and really bright? It annoys you, right? You can thank Solomon for this verse. And you can go home and you can write it on a sticky and put it on their mirror. That might be a little passive-aggressive. Maybe not. A good friend tunes into your emotions and is thoughtful of timing of when and how to share difficult topics. And think about friendships. Isn't it hard a lot of times when you're talking about stuff as well to not, to not want to problem solve? I know it is for me. I always want to get in there and I want to solve a problem. But, but empathy means that people often don't need advice. They don't need you to fix things. They just need you to listen and recognize and validate what they are experiencing. And in so doing and just being there for them, you build trust by being there. Last one, boundaries and respect. Proverbs 25 says this, Let your foot, I love this, Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. Have you ever had that friend, or maybe you've been that friend, who you're a little clingy, you don't know when to go home, you're always doing everything, you always want to do everything together? Don't be that person. Don't be that person who sends a text, and when you don't get a response in a few minutes, you call them and leave them, and if they don't answer, you leave a message, and then you text them right away going, is it okay? Are you okay? Is everything okay? If you make that kind of person your roommate or your spouse, life is over. You're done. I'm just kidding. You can still love and you can still... Okay, so I'm just kidding. That's, your friend isn't the one who's designed to fill the vacuum in you to be loved and secure and valued. Jesus is the only one who can fill that need for friendship adequately because we all know that none of us can do all four of these things on a regular basis perfectly with people. We all know we're going to fail. So where do we get the ability to be this kind of a friend? Well, when Jesus was talking with his disciples, his friends, and he actually calls them friends in this context, in John 15, he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. The real ability to be a friend comes from experience, experiencing Jesus' friendship personally. When we learn to rest in that truth that Jesus did every one of these characteristics really good, he was a really good friend, perfectly, powerfully, and fully. Jesus' love is genuine and honest. He was honest and straightforward and showed he cared in such a genuine way in loving us while he was on earth and dying for us and for our sin to receive the promise of his love. Jesus is reliable. He never leaves you or forsakes you. Jesus is empathic. I mean, just look at all the ways he was so tender and amazing with sinners and sufferers and teared up with them in his kindness and gentleness and yet also very clear and full of action with them. And Jesus loves to respect your decision. Have boundaries. He so graciously invites you to enjoy his love and his wisdom and his health, but he will not force you ever to follow him. You have to be willing to do that on your own. See, when you experience Jesus' love, you will increasingly become the good friend you want to be. And you'll have this deep sense, because you'll have this deep sense of how Jesus loves you and approves you and accepts you and it will lead you to being able to be a friend who's not needy. And when a friend does show you love, 
It'll accentuate the well-being of your life. But when they don't show you the love or, or friendship that you need, it won't devastate you either. Real love is to be known and loved. And Jesus knows you completely and loves you thoroughly. Every single selfish, mean, dishonest, sinful thing you've ever done in your life, God knows it even better and more fully than you even recognize it. And yet, He loves you anyway so that you are more loved than you could ever realize or dream of or hope for. Since we are loved like that, we can love others. And real friendship is the essence of the gospel. So the question is, do you know Jesus in that way? If you don't and you'd like to, if you've always been around religion and it's always been a morality-focused religion for you, God wants you to know that kind of loving relationship and is inviting you today today to that. You can take that step in that direction. You can just come after we dismiss and talk to one of the prayer team or myself and we'll just talk with you and encourage you and help you discover that kind of relationship with God. For all of us, I'm, I am, can't tell you enough how grateful I am uh, how we own this vision here as a church and how so many of us are trying to be exactly what we've talked about today, living in committed friendships and being that kind of friend that is there all the time and and welcoming people who don't even believe in Jesus, who think differently than us into friendship and mission with us and loving them. and, And then they begin to find Jesus through that love, the true answer for their souls. For those of you who are wanting more in the arena of your friendships, some ways you could grow. You might just want to jump in and you might want to serve with some friends or, or you might want to serve with some people and rub shoulders with them in order to find some friends. Join a small group to find some friends. Or, and, and then in your own current spheres of relationship and all your circles, be more intentional. Who is in those circles so that you have a healthy balance of friendships that are both going to be missional for you in terms of God giving the opportunity and the privilege to love them, to faith in Him and to health and wholeness, and the people who are going to drive you forward out of your own stuckness in life into growth and health so that we can see as we experience Jesus in this, our lives changed and the life of our entire community. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, this is something that I'm convinced all of us want, even if we put up a hard exterior in our life and said we don't need other people, we don't need that many other people in our lives. We, we know deep down that we have a longing for people who are always there for us, people who are going to believe, believe the best in us even when we're not the best, people who are going to pick us up when we're down and, and help carry things when we don't have the strength and hope for us when we don't have the hope and, and just be there to celebrate life and, and just be there for us. But Lord, we also recognize that, that you're that way for us. So I pray now as we continue to worship that we would just turn to you and allow your spirit to come to us even in this moment to strengthen that sense of your presence and your love for us for us by these words to lay our own wills down and to worship you and thank you for your goodness to us and your friendship to us, that we'd encounter you. And that, Lord, we would become the picture of you, who you called us to be as people, as friends, as the church. 
not perfect, but committed to sharing one another's burdens, committed to loving well, committed to growing well. So come, Holy Spirit, and meet us now in this moment. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.